Remain standing and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to worship today together as your church. God, I just ask that you would give us a Holy Spirit given and gifted attention this morning um, with a text that's very familiar, God, in a season that we, we do every year. We seem to come back to the same kinds of things, the same verses of Scripture. And God, I just ask that you would help that not to be commonplace, God, this morning, that you would speak to us afresh uh, by your Holy Spirit. And God, would you help uh, me to, to not get in the way of that event, God, that I would be um, your servant, God, that I would speak what you have to speak to us this morning. And we, we ask this all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I want to say good morning this morning, church. Good morning. There we go. There we go. Uh, we're almost there. One more week of waiting. One more week to keep your joy all pent up inside of you. Uh, and more importantly, one more week for Anglicans to tell us newbies, it's Advent, not Christmas. Um, yeah. That, that's not annoying at all. Um, be... <laughs> Be forewarned this morning, I'm about to drop some groundbreaking sociological research on you. Uh, and everyone this morning is a part of the study, and it's published this morning in your hearing, uh, finally bringing to light a very dangerous problem. Uh, and this, this is the title of the study, The Perfect Pew People Syndrome. It's a very, very catchy title. Many of us have the great opportunity to only be seen by others once a week, and some of us are only seen wearing white robes and reciting historic prayers and creeds, uh, perfectly dressed children, beautiful Christmas cards fixed to the fridge, our best self on display for all to see. Sundays are the perfect opportunity for extroverts to display their righteousness before men and for introverts to hide. This is, roughly speaking, uh, the PPPS, or the Perfect Pew People Syndrome. Other related sociological studies confirm the results of this study, uh, the Perfect Pew People Syndrome. Man, that's going to get. A, I'm not going to say that that many times in the second service. Uh, studies, studies like the recent Facebook fraud syndrome, or the uh, ancient coffee table nostalgic photo album syndrome, have similarly found that passing glimpses at each other's lives reveals that we believe that they, and by they I mean everyone around us, are perfect. So I just have to keep it all together for the next 45 minutes. There's so, so much in our gospel reading this morning from Matthew chapter 1 that we could very easily get lost in the theological birds and bees of this birth story. This is the introductory story in Matthew, and it's very short. It's a very short and very Matthewan style, but it is very detailed. And so uh, we're, we're going to have to attend to a few of those details this morning or um, suffer through them, however you look at that, a few of these technical details this morning. And some of you might have had the experience of opening up the New Testament for the first time, and just like Homer Simpson did with his zealous neighbor, Ned Flanders, 
you open up your New Testament only to find the most boring of biblical records. And if you were like me, the Gospel of Matthew, and let's be honest this morning, uh, when you read the Gospel of Matthew, it really starts with verse 18, our sermon text this morning. Let's just skip over those first few verses or skim through all that list of names and uh, get past that 17 verses and get to the real Gospel As some of you might suspect this morning, I don't think that this is a boring list of names. And so before we jump into the story, uh, we got to get our introduction this morning from the gospel text. And so if you'll open up with me in your Bibles to the New Testament, uh, if you didn't bring your Bibles, uh, it's page 807 in the Pew Bible in front of you. And we're going to start by looking at the genealogy right here in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1. And we see right here in this verse first verse that this is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And if you skip down to the end of the genealogy, just, just what I told you not to do, uh, skip down to the end of the genealogy, we, we, we get a reminder of what this genealogy is structured around. It's structured around three sets of 14. And so in verse 17, we see, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ 14 generations. And so uh, I, I have to mention this morning because we are forgetful, and I have to restate the obvious, that the gospel, first and foremost, is about Jesus. Okay, there's your Sunday school uh, sermon for the morning. It's first and foremost about Jesus, but more importantly, about what he accomplishes for us on our behalf. Uh, what Abraham could not do, what David and his sons could not do, all Israel could not accomplish, Jesus is the one who accomplishes that for us. It's not primarily, so the gospel of Matthew is not primarily about you and me, okay? So there's, there's our first reminder. The genealogy reminds us of this. And, and the second thing I want you to notice is in verse 1. Uh, this is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And that word genealogy uh, could be translated Genesis. That's where we get the word uh, Genesis from. This is the book of the Genesis of Jesus Christ. Verses 1 through 17 are a richly theological outline of what we're going to see that follows in the following narrative. Um, and, and this is Jesus being adopted into a lineage. Jesus adopted into a family that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, all the way through the exile in Babylon. So uh, really, the Matthew uh, gospel account is drawing us back to the Old Testament. And uh, for, for those of us this morning uh, who don't know their Old Testament very much, it's really hard to read this gospel. Um, and I'm, I'm the first one to say that. Uh, when I, whenever I get into the Old Testament, I get lost. Does anybody get lost? So we're, we're, we're coming this morning into a grand narrative, a grand story, and Matthew wants to remind us about that before we get into our sermon text. And so that was my introduction. Here's my sermon. All right. Uh, look, look with me. At Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ 
took place in the, this way. Uh, stop right there. Uh, that, that word birth is the same word that we had in verse 1 that was translated genealogy. This is now translated birth uh, for, for good reason. But this is the genesis, okay? This is the genesis story of Jesus Christ. And so if you think back to the beginning of your Bibles in Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, we have an orderly account of the creation of the world. And then in Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 4, we have this more personal account, right? The more personal account of the first created covenant community. And so too, in Matthew chapter one, we have this orderly account, this sort of Genesis ordered narrative. And then we have the more personal story, okay? And so we're getting into the more personal Genesis story of Jesus Christ. Continuing in verse 18, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Um, One of the things you'll notice about the Gospel of Matthew is he goes very quickly. He's not, he's not really interested in telling a big, long story. You don't get a lot of details or conversations uh, in this story. But there, there are things we need to notice here. That this is, this is a betrothal period, which is kind of weird for us a little bit. Uh, but the betrothal period was very formal. This was a formal season. It usually lasted about a year. Okay, And so he was, uh, he was betrothed. she was betrothed to Joseph. And before they came together, I don't want to explain that to people this morning, um, but the birds and the bees stuff, um, they had not consummated their marriage yet. And, and Gospel of Luke gives us a little bit of context here. This is, there, there's like a three-month period here. Before they came together, uh, Mary goes on a trip to visit Elizabeth, her cousin, right? And uh, Joseph doesn't know what happened there. Apparently something happened. Um, Matthew's not really interested in uh, giving a lot of the details going on. But she's coming back, and she's about four months pregnant. And here we are in our story, uh, picking up in verse 19. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. And so uh, remember the betrothal is a formal period. And so divorce is, is a formal way to say that they're breaking up. Um, we, we, it's kind of weird for us to think they're not married yet. So why do they have to get divorced? Well, this is a very formal period. They're getting divorced and she, she, uh, Joseph is the husband of Mary, but I, I want us to focus on one particular word here. Again, the details in Matthew are very important that Joseph was a just man. Okay, this word is mostly translated in the Gospel of Matthew as righteous. That Joseph was a righteous man. I, I think that's a better translation for for a lot of reasons, which we'll get into a little bit later. Um, but if if we fast forward a few chapters in the Gospel of Matthew and in in the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist, he came. Jesus was being baptized, and he came to fulfill all righteousness. And then a few chapters later, we get into perhaps the most famous part of the entire Bible, which is the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And right there at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, we have the Beatitudes, okay? Church people, you're aware of the Beatitudes. Blessed are these people. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, right? They're hunger, for, hunger and thirst for righteousness. And really summing up all of the Beatitudes, blessed are those who are persecuted for being 
righteousness, for, for being righteous, for righteousness' sake. And so this is right at the center of this first big and maybe central teaching of the whole Bible in a lot of ways. Um, and, in, and in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1, it says that beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be seen by them and to be praised by them. And so uh, this, this word, righteous man, uh, Joseph is a righteous man. This is very important, and we'll get to that a little bit later. Look with me again at verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. We're almost done with the story, okay? It's a very quick story in Matthew. But again, a few details here. Joseph, son of David. Very important. Uh, we get this in the genealogy account that, that, Jesus, uh, that Jesus is adopted into this family. Joseph is the son of David. Jesus inherits all of the kingly promises of the son of David. And so we want to notice that detail. But I want you to see in verse 21 that his name is Jesus, okay? And here's another, like, if you're the, if you're the really good Sunday school person, you know the answer. What is the name of Jesus? Jesus' name means that God saves or Yahweh saves uh, for he will save his people from their sins. And so the people of Israel are getting this gospel story and they've been exiled into Babylon, which we're reminded of here in the genealogy. They're still in exile. They, they have, the throne of David is still not filled and they are waiting for this Messiah, this Christ who's going to save them. But Matthew says, I'm not just going to save you. He's not just going to save you out of exile from Babylon. He's going to do that, but he's going to do something deeper that goes all the way back to the garden, right? He is going to save his people from their sins. And so this is, this is a big story. This is a big story. It's the story of the whole Bible that's being summed up here. And uh, continuing in verse 22, look with me. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Um, you, you, might, you might have thought we were just now getting the story started, but in typical Matthew fashion, he breaks out of the story and he gives us a quote. And this is, this is the first of several fulfillment texts right here in the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. So he's very conscious. If you didn't get it in the genealogy, right? If you, if you didn't get that this is all about the whole story of Israel, the whole Bible, let me throw in some fulfillment texts for you so you remember. And so this text is from Isaiah chapter 7 and chapter 8, sort of put together. And it says that, again, he will be, he will be conceived um, in a virgin. She, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And if you just think back what, to what we just read, weren't they supposed to call him Jesus, right? Wasn't supposed to call him Jesus, and now he's called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Uh, there are a lot of details here, okay? And I'm just going to tease that one just to say that uh, you can ask Father Ben about that later uh, if you want. Because we're not even going to talk about that this morning. What in the world? 
Emmanuel, do you spell it with an I or an E? Um, I, don't e I don't even know. That's, there's, there's a lot of deep questions here. Uh, but keep, keep going. Uh, in, in verse 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And so, just like in the genealogy where we have a book ended, this is about Jesus, right? In this, in this second Genesis story about Jesus, it's about Jesus Christ, and they shall call his name Jesus. And so, this story is bookended with Jesus as well. And I want you to notice that here, Joseph, is, he's that Christian, all right. He's that Christian who not only obeys what is commanded of him, but he goes above and beyond, just a little bit more. Uh, not only does he take Mary as his wife, but he, he goes a little bit further than our text says. And I don't, I, you know, we're getting a summary account here, so there could have been a whole lot more details in that angelic dream that was going on, but we don't really know that. All we know is that Joseph not only took Mary as his wife, but he did not, he did not, he did not consummate the marriage until after Jesus was born. And so here we get the virgin birth, okay? So virgin conception, virgin birth. There's a lot of detail. There are a lot of big theological themes that are going on in this text. And so this morning, uh, there's our story. That's our, that's our gospel text this morning, full of details. And I always want to ask the question, so what? So what? What is the point of this familiar painstakingly detailed and many layered personal account of Jesus's birth for you and for me. What is the point for us this morning? Well, I think we can begin to answer this, this question by noticing that this personal Genesis story about Jesus isn't primarily about Jesus isn't primarily about Jesus. We get this record of Jesus's genealogy, and then, and then we're told that we're about to get a detailed story about the account of Jesus's birth, and then we have a story about Joseph. The first story of the four Gospels, the first story of the New Testament isn't about Jesus. It's about Joseph. Joseph wasn't out front. He wasn't a public figure. He was simply a righteous man. Church history records that Joseph probably died in the next few decades in the presence of Mary and Jesus, but we don't really know because, again, he wasn't out front. He wasn't in the limelight. We get a passing glimpse of Joseph, and it isn't his public presentation of himself on Facebook. It's not Joseph's Sunday morning best. We all get to see into the closed door personal righteousness of Joseph. He didn't practice his righteousness before men. And because of this, we honor him today because he really was a righteous man before God and not before men. Okay, so we're getting at the answer to this question. This Genesis account is about Jesus, um, but it's not really. It's about Joseph. So again, I ask, what does this story have to do with you and me us normal people. Uh, and I think, it's, I think it is this phrase exactly. Righteousness happens at home. Righteousness happens at home. And for some of you this morning, you hear righteousness happens at home and you are terrified for all the wrong reasons. But some here should feel uneasy when they hear this. If we had a glimpse into your home, 
into your internet browser history, into your gospel or your gossip-filled text message records, wherever you go to hide. And your impulse, even right now, is to justify yourself. And if you think about the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, trying to justify themselves? The gospel exhortation for you this morning is simple. Don't believe the satanic deception that everything is fine, that you can manage your secret sin, that you've got it under control, that it's no big deal, just as long as you present enough public goodness. Um, The gospel says, repent and believe, for the kingdom of heaven is here. It's right now. The kingdom of heaven is here. Repent and believe. Righteousness happens at home. Um, I, I think for most of us this morning, though, for others of us here today, and if, if, our, if our sample study from our foundations retreat uh, yesterday is any, any clue, we have a lot of mercy people here in this room this morning. For others here today, you are deceived by the opposite temptation. You're very hard on yourself. Yours isn't the self-focused public pride of the Pharisee, but the self-focused, self-devouring sin of inward shaming or of quiet condemnation. Chris, I barely have enough in the tank to keep it together right now. And if you say, if you saw my day-to-day struggles, my moment-by-moment indecision and unbelief, I am not Joseph. See, on the surface, Joseph would seem to be the supposed perfect Christian, that person that we incessantly compare ourselves to at church and on social media, or simply the tyrannous, I should be blank, the perfect you of your imagination. Except for Joseph's example and a few others in Scripture, glimpses into the private Actions of men and women are nearly always a disaster. Privately and publicly in the Gospels, nearly everyone falters. And here's why Joseph's story matters for you this morning. If you've been in church for a little while, you are very familiar with the shining examples of faithfulness to Jesus. The grand tales of sacrifice, of radical living for the sake of the Gospel, and praise the Lord for those. Praise the Lord for those. And just last week, I was, I was in tears. You might, I was in the back row. I'm a back row Baptist still. Um, I was in tears um, hearing some of these powerful testimonies, just like that. And if you haven't listened, here's a plug. If you haven't listened to Father Ben's message from last week, I really encourage you to do that this week. Um, you could even do it right now, pop in the earbuds and just listen to that sermon. Um, but there, there's a temptation in all of these shining examples, right? The, the John the Baptist, those, those preacher prophets who go to the ends of the earth, they're, they're crazy missionaries, despised by everyone, and they're arrested, and they're beheaded. And, I, and this is the narrative that I always have in my head. Your life is insignificant unless you do something crazy for Jesus. Enter Joseph. In Matthew's gospel account, true righteousness is heart righteousness. Jesus' message is a reminder that outward obedience, that justice alone, just having a well-ordered mind, as Albus Dumbledore said, then I'm good, then I'm good. 
We read the Sermon on the Mount and we respond, how can I live like this? How can anybody live like this? The narrow path of righteousness from birth to resurrection was only ever walked perfectly by one man, and that man is Jesus Christ. But how are we to follow Jesus in the narrow way? It's it's this. Righteousness happens at home. We follow Jesus in the quiet of our homes. What C.S. Lewis called the high, hard, lovely, and adventurous art. Home is where the battle of faith is won or lost. Living with other people, living with yourself, is hard. Can I get an amen? Amen. It's hard. Uh, We pray. We require just as much a miracle of the Holy Spirit every day in our lives. Deliver us. Speak to us. God, let us be sensitive to hear the voice of your holy messenger. We pray, give us what we need for today. Forgive us our trespasses. God, help us to forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the attack of the evil one. The cosmic story of the redemption of the whole world, this gospel story begins at home. When you're getting ready for church, when you're single, when you're widowed, when your marriage is hard, when you feel all alone, when you're changing diapers all night long, when your husband is inevitably insensitive or forgetful, When you feel like nobody is listening in the quiet stillness of your prayer closet, these quiet places are where the battle of faith is truly fought. Righteousness happens at home. You see, we follow Jesus by righteously living out the normal stuff of our lives, by showing mercy to the most annoying in-law who always comes at Christmas time, right? That the person that always gets on your nerves. I'm I'm, I'm very thankful that that is not my illustration. Praise the Lord. Um, we show mercy to the person who is the last person that you want to show mercy to. Uh, and maybe that's your spouse at Christmas time. We show mercy to them by repenting of our sins against our spouses, by the little obediences and small kindnesses of everyday life, by showing mercy to our never-listening, rambunctious children by listening to and obeying our heavenly father. The always smiling has it all together, always in your pocket, Facebook assault wages war on your soul. The Sunday morning best you see around you will assault you with the mistaken idea that public righteousness equals personal heart righteousness. The false belief that one hour a week of corporate worship is the front line of the battle. And thankfully, the genesis of Jesus begins with a story about a normal guy caught up into a cosmic struggle. St. Joseph is the saint for the rest of us. And so we pray this morning, Lord, give us strength to be quietly righteous like Joseph in our everyday lives. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Would you stand 
as we confess what we believe in the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is visible and invisible. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not 